This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Is it a gadget? Is it a gizmo? No, it's gadgets and gizmos with Steve Kaplan and Simon Rose. So what have you got for us this week? That's a very bald introduction. I usually say this is Simon Rose. I said building said already. You thought he would have gone. No, eventually, eventually, you know, you can train me eventually. Um, oh, okay. Doesn't need electric shop um, collar or anything. You know, several years and gradually I come round to doing things the way I should be doing them. Well, fair enough. We're going to go virtual. We're going to go virtual. We're going to go to Decentraland. What? You probably don't know what Decentraland is. You're right, I don't. Decentraland is a virtual world which you can explore. And I've had a little exploration around Decentraland. Mm. And um, it's bizarre. It's like being in a sort of late 1990s video game where you wander around and you look at stuff and you're supposed to be able to talk to people, but all the people I tried to talk to either weren't interested in what I had to say, which is mainly mm. what on earth is this all about then. So just like the real world then. <laughs> just like the real world, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, so Decentraland, um, it's a thing. It's a thing. And lots of celebrities are getting involved and they are buying virtual mansions in these places. Why? A plot of land, 6,000 square feet. Recently sold for two point four million dollars in Decentraland. Hang on, you mean a, a virtual bit of land? A virtual bit of virtual land sold for two point four real dollars. It is well, well no, two point four dollars sounds about a right price, but you said two point four million. Million, million yes. yes, yes. That is extraordinarily bizarre. Now, a lot of celebrities, for example, Snoop Dogg, for example, has um, mm. built himself a virtual mansion, and he said. Uh, he's going to be holding parties there for all his celebrity friends. Will no doubt, well, they'll either attend or they'll turn their noses up at it. But the, the well, plot are, next they, door, are they building any railway lines there? You want to buy up a bit of property before the railway comes. Well, this is the thing the plot next door to Snoop Dogg's virtual mansion has just sold for $450,000. Uh, it's rather like um, it's rather like having an ice cream stall just outside a, a fairground. I think the hope is that people on their way to Snoop Dogg will stop off at, at your virtual your virtual plot and actually buy real stuff with real dollars. But it all seems a bit bizarre to me. So you weren't tempted to stay there and live in decentralized. I found it of... a very uh, dismal experience, a somewhat depressing experience. The, the navigation is very, very clumsy. The graphics are awful i couldn't see any point to it whatsoever but there oh, there probably are other virtual lands i mean maybe created by computer games that appear to be incredibly realistic i wonder why yeah. it's so awful uh well they have to keep it low poly because there are so many people playing at once uh that uh, they can't have it for the high resolution or the mm-hmm. their server simply couldn't keep can up. we just go back to the phrase low poly okay all models in three. Oh, I'm sorry. I uh, asked. No. Oh, yeah. Okay. Are made of polygons. Oh, okay. Right. Uh, the more polygons you have, the harder your computer and, in fact, their servers have to work in order to fire them at you. 
Right. The fewer polygons, the quicker they can do it. That's why if you play games like oh, the Da Vinci Code and the Room, which I know you've played, hmm. uh, everything looks good and realistic until you look at circular objects, which are always stepped. They're always hmm. have yes, sort of yes, jagged yes. edges yes. because you'd need an infinite number of polygons to make a decent circle. But there are and, games uh, played by people all around the world that are massively popular. Yes. That look brilliant. Yes. This isn't one of them. I can't really understand okay. it. All right. Well. But talking of which, um, Final Fantasy fourteen, with a game again you I doubt you've played recently. <laughs> yeah. It's a MMORPG, which um, is a multi, a massively multiplayer online role playing game. Right. Most of the role playing involving running around killing people because that's you know what people like yes, to do online. Yes, 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 yes. Um, and it came out twenty thirteen, hugely successful, twenty four million users. Mm. Uh, they released an expansion called Endwalker uh, in November, uh, which was very successful. In fact, it was so successful they've had to stop selling it because their <laughs> servers can't keep up. Oh, good gracious! Players have to wait hours literally hours in order to get a slot in a game and they've now been given first seven days and then next to 14 days of free in-game playtime to make up for the fact that they couldn't get on okay that's so, almost equally bizarre almost equally bizarre very very odd isn't it yeah it is Anyway, so from um, uh, from virtual worlds down to real the world world with a thump, or perhaps with a bit of a bouncy thump, because what could be more real world than trainers? Well, I'll tell you what could be more real world yeah. than trainers. Nike have just bought um, Artifact. Would you like to guess how Artifact is spelt? I know you like Oh, this. no, no, no. I will hate it. It is R-T-F-K-T. R-T-F-K-T. Oh, that's horrible. It, it makes horrible. a bit more sense than some of them, I suppose. It does. And Artifact make uh, trainers. They sold 600 pairs of trainers for $3.1 million. That's not each, I would point out. Probably for a pair. No, actually for six pairs. 600 pairs. Um, but the NFT versions of those trainers are now worth more than the physical versions. Well, hang on. The physical version seemed pretty expensive. 600 pairs of trainers for $3 million. Yes. And then they sell the NFT. I do know. They come with the NFTs. The NFTs come with them. I can't why they're so expensive. But the NFTs are now changing hands for more than they originally Yeah, so you're using it or dropping NFT. But I suspect many of our listeners probably don't even still have come to grips with NFT. Non-fungible token, my lord. It is the way that these things are going online, that people can sell digital artworks very often for more than real artworks are worth. In fact, we talked uh, a few months ago about how Damien Hurst released a series of his spot paintings that he sold relatively cheaply mm. for Damien Hurst. But each one came with an NFT and people who bought them have a year to decide whether they want to keep the NFT mm. or the real artwork. And whichever they decide, the other one is ritually yeah. destroyed. Yes, intriguing. I can't help thinking we're into bubble territory. And also mm. with trainers, the word fungible does sound a bit like fungal. I think that's... A, it does sound like that. fungal, yes. That's probably why they're all going NFT rather than non-fungible tokens. Well, they certainly smell better. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, that's true. That's true. Time for this. So, where now? Well, if you're having difficulty with uh, getting your head around everything, you might just be being, being a bit short-sighted. Or perhaps you have presbyopia, 
Thesbiopia being the uh, the name for what happens to your eyes as you get older. Well, actually, not as you get older, because you still don't wear glasses, do you? Uh, no, but I had cataracts, so I've had my lenses replaced. So, oh, okay, yes, that's well, why well, I don't wear glasses anymore. That explains. Well, the reason presbyopia, presby as in old, so mm. it's an it's an old person's opia. Uh, they your your lenses harden with age, mm. which uh, makes it uh, more difficult for your eyes to to narrow them to the right amount to to take the right amount of lighting so they can focus, and so you wear glasses or rather I wear glasses. Yes, but. There is a new product which has just been approved for use in the United States called Vuity. And Vuity are eye drops. Eye drops that correct blurred near vision. So, in other words, to for, for reading. So rather than wearing glasses, yeah. you can put these eye drops in. And the way they work is to reduce the size of your pupil. Rather like a pinhole camera, mm -hmm. the smaller the aperture, the sharper the image, as any any photographer will know. Mm. And the reason that cameras have so many complex lenses uh, is to make the aperture as big as possible to let more light in so you can get a brighter image and all the lenses focus the, focus the image down. Pinhole cameras are pin sharp, but unless you're using them outdoors on a sunny day, you're not going to see very much. Yes, in fact, yes. even if you are using them outdoors on a sunny day, you're still not going to see very much because they're not very good, but they're, they're, they're better than nothing. So these things, the Vuity eye drops, uh, they do warn that they are not suitable for driving at night, or, and I'm quoting here, for performing hazardous activities in poor lighting. I'm not quite sure what kind of hazardous activities they're thinking of. No, and I can't have any if you were going to indulge in hazardous activities, you'll turn the lights on. You <laughs> indeed. That's the first thing I would do. And the second yeah. thing I'd be to put a pair of glasses on. Well, yes. I'm thinking, where are my eye drops? I can't well, find we, them. Are you going to try them if they get approved over here? Uh, no, I'm not. I, I would have done a few years ago when I only had trouble reading, but now I have trouble seeing distance as well. So I tend to wear bifocals so I can see the distance oh, and right, I can right. see it close to. It's mid-range that I have difficulty with now. Someone's sort of across the table from me. I can either see them if I lean back or lean forwards, but uh, they're a little bit fuzzy. Maybe it's, maybe it's too much wine. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> perfectly possible. Okay. We have talked um, quite a lot on this programme about wearable uh, electronics. Yeah, only and, last week, um, I think. Yeah, and indeed disposable electronics. So for things like environmental sensors, uh, which measure you know, nitrates in the soil mm -hmm. or wind conditions or whatever. Um, and these have been made to to biodegrade. So that obviously you put them out there and then when, they're, when they've had their, their use, they just melt back into the soil. The problem is you've got to power these things. And no one has yet made biodegradable batteries. Or have they? Well, the answer is yes, they have. There's a university in Singapore which has made what they claim is the world's first biodegradable battery. Isn't that good? Come on, yes. that's good. You're impressed with that. It's four centimeters square, and they say it can power an electric fan for 45 minutes. I imagine it's quite a small electric fan, but that's still pretty good going because, of course, fans, as they've got motors in, use up quite a lot mm. of power. Um, and they're made of paper reinforced with hydrogel, which have the anode and cathode printed on opposite sides. Um, and the anode and cathode are then gold-plated to make them better conduct of electricity. And when the battery has done its job, it just gradually decomposes. But that's a very good thing. Oh, so you have to replace the batteries more often then, presumably? Well, yes. Well, these are single-use batteries. 
But if it can power a fan in 45 minutes, then it could power a nitrate measuring device probably for a month or two. Hmm. So I think it's a, it's a good thing. Rather than having all these used batteries lying around, you can yes. just compost them. Yes, as long as it didn't actually compost itself during that month. You would hope it wouldn't compost itself during that month. Yes. But um, who knows? Maybe they do. Well, while we pause to think about it, let's just quick, take a quick, quick break. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. This is Simon Rose. You're listening to Gadget and Gizmos with myself and Steve Kaplan. So, I don't know where we're going. You tell me. We are, we're going into a cow shed. Because cows, oh. uh, as you know, are one of the uh, worst producers of methane. Uh, from both ends, as it turns mm. out. Yes. Um, okay. <laughs> and uh, there's a company called Greenshed in Scotland who have designed the first airtight house for cows. And it's designed for the cows to go in in the winter because they go mm. indoors in winter anyway, apparently. But then, frankly, who wouldn't? And the the airtight house, I assume they have some way of pumping oxygen into it so they don't all suffocate. But <laughs> it extracts the methane from the cows both ends and um they then burn the methane to heat their polytunnels and presumably to heat the green shed at the same time quite a good idea okay. yes hmm, quite a good idea quite a good idea because it's quite expensive and burning methane does produce quite a lot of carbon dioxide which is odd because carbon dioxide as we know is a bad thing but as we've mm. also been told there is a shortage of carbon dioxide and you think, well, surely they can put the two together and somehow take that carbon dioxide and give it to the people who want carbon dioxide for whatever they I want. I imagine somebody must have mentioned it to them. You'd think somebody would have done it. Who knows? Yes. Who knows? You, I don't know. I remember that there used to be a few people at school who would occasionally um, um, set fire to their emissions from their rear end. I don't know if that yes. happened to your school as well. I think it's happened to most schools. Can you do that to cows? I wouldn't like to try. I'm just quite I imagine, Yes, I imagine you can. Uh, I'm sure people have cows. I'm sure YouTube is full of people doing just that. I, I, I haven't checked it out. <laughs> Sadly, I probably will check it out later. Okay. <laughs> so will I. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's progress before that let's, image let's lodges on. itself in our mind. Well, this is, um, uh, we're moving on to a company called Space Forge, who are based in Cardiff. It was only formed uh, a year ago, but uh, they've reached quite a lot of funding. And one of the two people who read this, a chap called Josh Weston, who says, Earth is a wonderful place to live on, but terrible for manufacturing so many things. The problem is that uh, we have gravity, we have pollution, uh, all these things that make it difficult to, mm -hmm. um, to make stuff. So the Space Forge is a space-based factory. It's a satellite wow. that will make medicines, semiconductors, 
all the kinds of things that you can make so much more easily in space, assuming you're already in space, um, and then ship them back to Earth in, in, in some bizarre and complicated way. They say that, for example, when you make glass fiber for fiber optics uh, on Earth, it tends to be a bit cloudy because of all the imperfections in, in the atmosphere. Mm. Whereas glass fiber is apparently completely clear when it's made in space. Although, uh, you know, we need quite a lot of fiberglass to... Uh, well, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, and surely um, getting space is quite expensive. It, you can only do very, 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 very high value added items, one would have thought. Yes, I would have thought so. And getting them back without breaking them uh, is probably very, very expensive as well. So I'm not entirely sure where they're coming from. But people are investing in them. People must think there's, a, there's some mm. kind of future in here. And if and when there are you know, lunar bases and perhaps Mars yes. bases, then I'm sure all those astronauts will find themselves working in factories, churning out the kind of things they never expected <laughs> yes. to turn out. Probably, yes, probably not what they expected when they signed on to be an astronaut in the first place. <laughs> no, yes. indeed. Yes. Well, unless they're all replaced by robots, of course, in which case they'll be striking astronauts up there. Yes, yeah. Mm. Okay. Uh, let us move on back to Earth again, uh, to South Korea. Mm. South Korea is a very competitive society and children are apparently brought up from a very young age to believe that winning is the only possible goal in life mm. and people are naturally very stressed out so they have started watching videos of clouds hitting mung they call it is watching videos of clouds right. um, they also watch videos of things like log fires and rivers, leaves falling in the forest. You can kind of imagine that because... You, really, you get that sort of stuff on streaming services. You can. Slow, slow TV or something. Yeah. Sport, well, there was a recent uh, film in South Korea, a 40-minute film of clouds, and it was a huge hit, people going and de-stressing. And so nice though it is that uh, the South Koreans are uh, de-stressing, because they're so competitive, they have organised a space-out competition, and it's held in the forest. And the winner is the person with the lowest heart rate. And it just seems to me that these are two <laughs> absolutely conflicting aims. Oh, you know, here you're desperately trying to win, but at the same time, desperately trying to reduce your heart rate. So I don't know yeah, about that. That's quite intriguing. Yeah, it's been a while since you've had one of these. Antisocial behaviour in shops and supermarkets. It has been on the rise, especially in uh, during the pandemic. Partly mm -hmm. people not wanting to be told to put masks on and partly people just being so fed up with the whole pandemic thing, they take it out on shopkeeper because that's mm. the only people that they tend to see. Um, the uh, branches of co-op in Portsmouth, 18 branches of co-op co in Portsmouth, have started using facial recognition special cameras that do biometric scans of people coming into their shops, mm. which then check the scans against their uh, watch list mm. and alert people if there are people going into the shop who have a history of shoplifting or abusive behaviour. Um, and the co-op says, well, this is because our staff get attacked, so we, we do this, mm. you know, so we know if they come in. But if these people do come in, how do the staff then get rid of them? They're going to they're going to surely get more abusive yes. behaviour by trying to turn these people out. I don't see how they can sort of do a lockdown on the and a whole co-op, or um, maybe there are secret mm. trap doors in the co-ops so that people disappear through when they are biometrically recognised. Not everyone that thinks would it's be a good quite idea. Intriguing. It would. 
Yeah. A lot of people think it's a very bad idea. And the website mm. Big Brother Watch, mm. um, they say the co-op's use of Orwellian face recognition software abuses uh, customers' rights. Um, and I think for a, company, uh, a website called Big Brother to call anything Orwellian, I think, well, I think it's everything is Orwellian. Otherwise, <laughs> they wouldn't be there in the first place. So they're um, mounting a legal challenge. The co-ops say, no, 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 we're not storing the customers' biometric data, but of course they must be storing it. They wouldn't be able to check it against their... Well, yes, computer. that's absolutely true. Yes. yes. If they don't store it, it's completely useless. Well, and if we capture people's we, images... Yeah, I was going to say, we had data, quite a lot yeah. of... Um, of, of um, uh, talk about uh, Chinese facial recognition software. Didn't hmm. we some some time ago where they were doing the most extraordinary things, but it didn't always work properly. No, it doesn't always work properly, um, and that's one of the issues that they're, that they're raising. So, uh, uh, several police forces have been successfully sued for uh, their facial recognition software not working uh, correctly, particularly for mm. black people who they have very great difficulty mm. uh, identifying. Um, so the co-op, there's quite a lot of moves against the co-op at the moment, um, unless they pitch themselves as you know, the 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 ethical bank slash supermarket slash yes. funeral director yes then uh i think they maybe may have wrong-footed themselves here well so who has right-footed themselves who has right-footed themselves um almost oh, I, was, no one. I was hoping you Actually, thought, no, i was hoping no, no, that no. would be a great segue into your next your next item oh, but perhaps well, not i'll tell you no i see what you mean i'll try it again who has right i'll tell you who has right-footed themselves Morphe Richards have right foot of themselves. Right. We talked about them a couple of weeks ago for having a Morphe Richards iron that was still in use. Oh, yes. 40 yes, odd yes, years yes, yes, after yes. it was first bought. Yes. Um, which magazine have done their product of the year? And the winner, their best product of the mm -hmm. year, according to which, is a Morphe Richards. It's a soup maker. It seems quite extraordinary. But apparently this soup maker is just the perfect product. I don't understand the point. Okay. You you chop your vegetables up into little pieces. I'm supposed to say the, the same thing, but it makes soup for you. But hang on, if to make soup, you put a bit of butter in the pan, maybe an onion or so. You chop yes. your vegetables up, you put it in there, you let it yes. go for a little while, and then you liquidise it, and you've got yes. soup. What exactly. what does a soup maker do? Um, it does some of that for you. I suppose it maybe liquidises it. Uh, it cooks it for you, I suppose, at the same time, mm, and okay. um, chops it up even smaller. I don't know. Well, I anyway, don't know, they are hugely popular. Um, you can get them from about £40, depending on the size. That's for about a one-litre size. You probably want a bigger one if you're making lots of soup. Uh, yes, one right. litre doesn't go very far. Well, if it's just you, then it goes quite a long way, depending oh, on you how much free, soup you, you like. You freeze soup. It keeps going for ages and ages and ages. Huh? Okay, I've never tried freezing soup, but um, doesn't it get a bit sloppy? Oh, you could no. do it in those little ice cube trays, couldn't you? Well, you don't get much out of an ice cube tray no but if you only want like a mouthful of soup at a time you should you, what you should do you should freeze whiskey in ice cube trays and then when you want a cold whiskey you just take it out of the ice cube tray and you've got it out i know um, then you've got whiskey contains alcohol have you ever tried actually freezing alcohol it expands doesn't it uh it's not that it's very hard to freeze it needs a much lower temperature surely doesn't it it probably does. Well, forget I mentioned the whiskey. Let's get back <laughs> okay. to the soup maker. I, I like the idea of whiskey ice cubes, but anyway, I shall have a look at this more furious of clarity. Like even I, who would always prefer to do something with a gadget rather than by hand, don't find it that laborious to actually make soup. But um, yes, yeah. Okay. So, what well, now? We've got a 
Time for another one or two. Uh, well, we are on the verge of uh, Christmas, unless you're mm. listening to the repeat, in which case I hope you had a happy Christmas. Um, and uh, there'll be no snow for most of us this Christmas, but I thought I'd try and find something vaguely crispy to end on. And the nearest I could find was a story about the Arctic, which is at least snowy, if not all that Christmassy, apart from Father yes. Christmas, who lives there, of course. Mm. Um, and there's a genetics company called Colossal, which might give you some idea of uh, what they're aiming at. They are planning to revive a woolly mammoth and then oh, stick it in the Arctic. This won't end well. Okay. They are <laughs> they are gene editing an Asian elephant or crossing, you know, gene editing an Asian elephant's yes. genes. So it produces a thicker fur and more fat reserves and smaller ears because they lose a lot of heat through their ears. I think that's the reason why elephants have big ears. I forget if uh, the African elephant has bigger ears than the Indian elephant. I think, I, that's, I think that's the case. Um, and um, so they uh, they gene edit uh, the uh, an Asian elephant, and then they put the embryo from the Asian elephant into an African elephant, which is bigger and therefore more capable of giving birth to a woolly mammoth. And the whole point of it is to restore the tundra in the mm. Arctic which they say will help to reverse uh, climate change. So it's possible that the Arctic could be, you know, green and pleasant and full of woolly mammoths again, in which case I expect to see cavemen springing up at any moment and <laughs> hunting well, them. No real reason why you can't do that as well. It does seem slightly bizarre. Say. But still, we are, we are ending on a, something of a bombshell, woolly mammoths. Oh, yes. hm. Are they the ones with the tusks as well? Oh, of course they've got tusks, tusks as well. Every, every what self-respecting mammoth wouldn't have tusks. I remember them from the Flintstones. So they've been around relatively <laughs> recently. Okay, Steve, thank you very much indeed. That's it, though, for this edition of Gadgets and Gizmos. Thanks to Steve Kaplan. Is it a gadget? Is it a gizmo? No, it's Gadgets and Gizmos with Steve Kaplan and Simon Rose.